Hey everyone, welcome to the Cultivate Podcast through the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there. And thank you so much for joining us. And we are in the middle of a, of a series where we're just kind of talking through Mormonism, what it is, how we respond to it. And when I say us, this time I don't mean a figurative us, I mean a literal us. I have Scott Sutton here with us. Hey, Scott. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Scott is a longtime member of the Grove, actually predates me from, you know, I've been the Grove almost 13 years. And for me, an elder at the church, small group leader at the church, and just kind of local Mormon expert, right? And and also the guy that everybody knows as, how, who are you known as, Scott? The no-shoe guy. The no-shoes guy that sits front left, front left, guys, no shoes. Got to <laughs> check here. Yeah. Oh. What, what? I don't know. <laughs> You've got shoes there, but your feet are halfway out of them. What does that mean? I'm just airing them out. This so is, also, yeah. it's like, I thought maybe this was semi-holy yeah. ground. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, so in, in the first episode, we kind of spent some time just kind of introing the idea of, of what Mormonism is. And we kind of... A lot of people talk about Mormonism as a cult, and we came up with some different kind of definitions for it. And under the definition of kind of a Christian cult where it has some, maybe some front-facing similarities to Christianity, it is, it is different in a, just a, all the wrong ways at, at, at a core level. And by at least by that definition, we determined that Mormonism is a cult. It's not, it, is not, it is not another Christian denomination. In fact, you said it's its own should be its own religion. Right. By, by the founder's own words, he was, he was restoring something that had been lost and was completely different from whatever Christianity existed at the time. He was, he was doing something different. Right. And so then we explored, okay, if it's, if it's, if it's wrong enough to be its own thing, what, like how, how so? And so we talked about the, the Mormon view of God, that God is not an omnipotent, eternal God, but was a person on another planet, just like us, and had you know, followed all the, whatever the rules were for on that planet. And then because he was good enough, got granted God powers to be God of his own planet. Planet Earth. And so now he's the God of this planet. And now we are on the same journey as he is. Exactly. And then we talked a little bit about, about, about Jesus, right? As Jesus, as the first of the spirit children right. that this, that, yep. that this God created and, and again, not 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 the son of God in the way that we mean it, like 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 an e- eternal equal with God the Father, but again, a, a created being. And one, then that one we, of our siblings. Do what? One of our siblings. Our, our, yeah, our big, our big, big, bro- brother, big brother. Big brother. Yep. Big brother, right? And then that we're just and that we had a pre-existence. We were spirit children that existed on some spiritual plane with this God and yep. the mother God and big brother Jesus and big brother. Big Brother Satan. Satan? You can say it. Okay, Big Brother Satan. Everybody's got black sheep in the family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got Satan in ours. He's a big brother. And so we kind of talked about kind of at those core levels, like who, who God is, who Jesus is, who we are. And I'm obviously, the, like I said, these, these, are not, these are not small things. These, right. I mean, this is like the core. Like I, God is not an eternal, omnipotent God. He is... He is an elevated person on his own journey. Same for Jesus. Same for Jesus. And if, if we could, which I can't, I can't get past that. I can't be like, okay, well, we don't worship the same God. We don't believe in the same Jesus. We don't believe in the right, same nature of humanity. We're, it's about as, it's about as different as different can get. But let's say for the sake of argument, I could get past that. Okay. Well, I was wrong about God. He's a little bit, he's not quite as big and cool as I thought he was. 
Jesus isn't necessarily who I thought he was. And, and we're, and, and we're a little different than I thought. I didn't, I didn't know I preexisted. I didn't know that. Okay. I, I'm willing to grant that. The big question that I still have is, okay, we've got there. We all agree to some level, every religion, every person, even if you're an atheist, everybody agrees there, there's a problem in the world. There's a problem that we as individual have. And then there's a solution to that problem. We talk a lot about sin and because of our sin, we need Jesus. And we use words like salvation, redemption, reconciliation, what would Mormons say? What would Mormon what do Mormons say problem is that religion or God or Jesus are trying to fix? What is the problem and what is the solution to that problem? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And you know, the the semantics, the 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 words we use as Christians and Mormons will start to sound the same at this point. We'll start okay. to use some of the same words, but we have vastly different meanings of those words. And so I think that's one frustrating thing for a lot of Christians who do try to engage Mormons on on this point about who is Jesus? Why did he die for our sins? What does that mean? We'll say, we'll use a lot of the same words and almost sound like, well, yeah, yeah, I believe that too. And, and not realize that beneath those words, the, the meanings of those words, we are actually speaking out two very different things. And so when, you know, to your point about what's the problem, you know, as, as Christians, we believe the problem is that we have, we have separated ourselves from relationship with God, that we have, uh, you know, that God has, has given us his relationship, uh, creation, and that we have broken in relationship with ourselves, with his creation, with him, and that he, through, through Christ, through his own work, through, through God's own work, through Christ, reconciles those relationships, that, that we were powerless to reconcile ourselves. He reconciles those relationships, and that's eternal life. And the, the, the Mormon view of this is that you'll start to hear some of these same words, but the problem in Mormonism, to use that, uh, start there, is that in our journeys to, to achieve what God has achieved, we have an obstacle, a stumbling block, a gate that we can't okay. get through. And that is that we, uh, we need to be able to live well in this life to prove that we're worthy of the next life to inherit this kind of resurrected body. Right. And the problem is that because of our sin, we now no, uh, we now no longer have a, a right to a resurrected body. That, that, that basically leads us to follow our own path to just die. And that's the end of our existence. And so what Jesus accomplished was basically in his death and resurrection, he basically unlocks that gate so that through him, whether we have faith in him or not, by the way, we now have an afterlife. We now have the, we can go through that gate and achieve some level of afterlife. Time out. So Jesus died on the cross in the most literal sense for everybody. Now he, he has accomplished for everyone, whether you are a Mormon or not, whether or not you have faith in him or not, we are now all on... We now are all on the, we're always on the same journey, but we had a gate that was locked. He unlocked the gate for everybody. Now we're all still on the same journey, but if we're not Mormons, we may be heading the wrong way. That's right. But we're, okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And so, yeah, so, so the, the, the problem being are we can't have a resurrected body that with this afterlife. And so I think a lot of times some of the sound bites that we hear as Christians are that, you know, Mormonism is a workspace theology. And so we'll talk about, you know, like, well, your salvation's works workspace, and they'll say no, it's not. And this is again where those semantics, those words, really come to play. Because when we talk about Jesus dying for our sins, we mean something different than 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 what the Mormon definition of that is, which is because of our sins, we couldn't have an afterlife. Jesus died to give us the right to an afterlife. What happens from that point on is completely up to us. And so, right, if you are okay. the most miserable human being, you still have an afterlife that that's a, a degree of heaven. They, that what they do is they've, 
They've taken um, some of Paul's writings from Corinthians out of First uh, Corinthians out of text out of context. Right. You know, Paul is going on this this kind of long speech on what it means for resurrection, what it means to have a resurrected body, and that our resurrected bodies are not going to be like our mortal bodies that get sick, that decay. And he uses just kind of this analogy about how, you know, the sun has a certain type of brightness that's different from the moon's type of brightness, that's different from the stars' types of brightness. And so you hear that and you, you understand, if you, especially in the context, that he's just kind of making a point about it's going to be different. What Mormonism has done, what Joseph Smith did, is took that ultra-literally to say that Paul's talking about three different degrees of heaven here. Okay. And that there's a, there's a sun level of heaven, the celestial kingdom. There's the uh, moon level of heaven. That's kind of this uh, midway. You know, I think about the brightness of the sun. The moon's less bright, but it's still bright. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the terrestrial. Uh, and then the stars, which, you know, just a little pinpoint brightness is the telestial. And so if you're the most miserable excuse for a human, you're still going to the telestial level of heaven. The is star level. It is. It is. Uh, it's not hell. But it's not like your progression. You have no ability to progress from there. You're just kind of stuck. You're stuck there for like, yeah, and this afterlife that, and you don't get to see your wandering nomad essentially in third tier heaven. Right. It's basically life on this earth, no, without the benefits. So you just kind of keep keep moving on, but you have no opportunity to progress. Okay. That next level up, and this is open to people who live great lives, who do great things, even for uh, members of the Mormon Church who maybe don't quite hit all the marks. This next level is the um, the terrestrial level of, king, of of heaven, and so that's for it's basically again this like better than this earth, but not as good as it could be, and our ability to progress eternally is kind of halted. So we'll be resurrected, and then we just kind of exist in this like better than earth state for eternity. Right. Okay. And then for those who uh, who get baptized, tithe ten percent, do all their temple uh, work go through their endowment ceremonies, do all the things and live valiantly, fulfill all the callings the church has. That is the, the ultimate level, the, the sun level, the celestial kingdom, okay. where now you have the ability to continue progressing and achieve greater degrees of glory and Godhood in your afterlife. And so I think there's, we, we talk about this works-based and they say, no, it's not works-based because they're focusing on Jesus unlocking the gate. We had no part in that, that Jesus alone could unlock that gate for us. But once that gate's unlocked, it's completely up to us gotcha. for what, okay. how, what our eternal state looks like. Okay, Scott. So that there were there were, that was that was that was a lot. a lot. Okay, that was a lot. So, so the the problem sin sin per se, sin sin tech sort of is the problem, right? But not in the not in the way that we think about it. Not as it has been in this. You know, it is it has destroyed our relationship with God. It has put it. You know, and and we we are lost. We are we are hopeless. Not in that sense, but it's just like. Sin is like a stumbling block, almost like I don't know, man. I got a I got a broken foot or some kind. It's like, or I'm having a hard, I'm having a, or I'm trying to, I'm trying to get over that. I need a map or like, right? It it has caused some sort of slowing or inhibitor in my journey, right? And so Jesus dies to kind of relatively small problem, like a fi- just to, just to fix a problem. Right. Fi- hey, I need to, I need to, I need to fix this. They, they need the ability to progress to godhood. If me dying unlocks that gate, so they have that opportunity, then that's what I'll do. Okay. And so then, then I, now, and now, now, okay. Now this opportunity has been put before me. And now if I, now if I, if I, if I start doing all, if I do the right things and you kind of went through some of the list of those things, then now ultimately then I can progress to the point to where I can be the God of my own planet. That's right. So here's a question I've always had, and I don't know if I've ever gotten a really good answer to this question. 
So we've got this God over our planet, and then he was at this other planet, and there was a God over him. And and is, does that I mean, does that God have the ability to make him? Like it's like he has the power to make him someone who can be God. Is there some mega God who's kind of huh. like, kind of like overseeing all of this? Who's like in charge? Like who who's who who's creating the universes and who's giving people the power to be gods? How do you get? How do you how do you get that power? So, I, Lord of the Rings, right? Yep. Hey, we got all these rings to to the to the dwarf kings and to the to the men and to the elves, and then there's one rule one king one 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 uh ring to rule them all yep is there is that does that exist is yeah. there is there mega god who is yeah. kind of pulling pulling all the strings behind all of this I think this is a really good question and you've actually started to tread into space where mormon theology doesn't even dare to tread uh you know when when you speak to the kind of average member we've already in just a few minutes we've been talking over the, the first episode of now we've already gone a lot deeper than most members ever get. A lot of this is based on uh, teachings through the you know, 1830s, 40s, 50s, 60s of the original founders and, and leaders of the Mormon church. And a lot of today's members aren't even aware of, of some of these deeper doctrines. And so when I've asked the question, we, when we kind of establish this, this progression of God, then that, that logically like begets the question like, okay, well, so God had a God why, why don't we worship that God? Grand God. Grand God. Yes. Right. <laughs> in a lot of ways. Right. And then grand God presumably had great grand God, great God, grand God. Right. <laughs> and so then the question is, so, you know, the, the philosophical phrase, you know, turtles all the way down the side, you know, the, the philosophically, mm-hmm. you know, the earth is balanced on the back of a turtle, Well, what's the turtle standing on? Well, they're standing on another turtle. Well, what's that turtle standing on? Well, another turtle. And it's just turtles all the way down. That's kind of how we go with our kind of our progression of gods. And so the, it begs the question, a couple of questions. First of all, these other gods seem to be following a path that's been laid out by some greater power. And so why aren't we worshiping that greater power that kind of set this precedent of our, our cycle of progression? And then also it presents a problem of, you know, we'll nerd out here. I know you're a math guy, but like <laughs> negative infinity, like we right. have to explain that. And so, and so there are a couple of problems with that, but the Mormon doctrine doesn't even attempt to answer that question. They just kind of start at God uh, achieved his status and that we have the ability to achieve the same status and they won't go any further beyond that. They're, they're, they're kind of bounds of what they are willing to delve into and there, because frankly, I believe a lot of theologians realize that, that it becomes increasingly problematic if you go any further than that. So they're not even, they're not even tr- wanting to try to answer no. the question. You won't read any apologist who gives anything that even tries to delve into that. It just is what it is. It is. Wow. Okay. So to me, like to me, to me, this is, it's hard for me to describe anything as the most problematic part, but like to me, to me, this, this, like this just, this just oozes some dude made this up, right? This is what a, this is what a guy would create. If I were going to just sit and imagine what God was like, he would be a dude like me and he would think like me and have the same kind of problems I did. And then I would just kind of like, you know, and he, he's, he's on my team and he, and he wants the best for me and, and I can get there, but there's, there's no, there's, it seems like we've lost all the omnis. Yeah. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He's not eternal. He's just a, a glorified dude who's cheering me on. Right. right? I, f- I feel like there's some mediocre versions of Christianity where we reduce Jesus to kind of a, a good teacher. He's a, he's a good teacher. He was a good guy. He was a good teacher. He was a great moral example. And when we say that we're Christians, 
we kind of got this Jesus, big brother, teacher, mentor guy that if we just kind of will learn from him and act like him, you know, he's not the savior. He's not the son of God. He's just a really good dude. And like, again, that we would, you know, would not, that's, that's something significantly less than what Christianity is yeah. supposed to be. To me, it seems like we're just like Mormonism is taking it up a level. Like now that's who God the father is. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the exact, and, and so even like, you know, when we think about in, in our context as, as Christians, when we think about Jesus being a member of the Godhead, you know, the sacrifice that Jesus made is the sacrifice that, that God made for us, that, that there's no separating that that's, it's not that there's this, uh, this big brother. And so when you think about that, that has real implications for how we worship, who we worship, right? how we live our lives, what we aspire to, what we, what we, what we will lay down ourselves for pursuit of that. And so to your point, as, as we start to kind of downgrade that, it's not, it's not purely a theological exercise. It's not purely like, okay, well, for the theologians, this is a big deal, but for everyday people, there's really no difference. If, if, if God is uh, a, a dad who wants the best for us, who couldn't even achieve the work of, of giving us that, that had to, you know, uh, kill his son, you know, a, a, a literal child to, to do that. That is a different God and that has different implications for right. everything. And so, you know, getting beyond the theological exercise of this, you know, how we walk our lives matters based on these things. Yes. And we, you, you mentioned worship. Like there's no one to worship in this scenario. Like worship is like a like like an expression of a heart and devotion to something infinitely greater than me who has who has given me everything. Like I have parents and they gave me life yep. in the most literal sense of that. They got me on my path, right? They started me out in life. They provided for me when I couldn't provide for myself. Mm -hmm. They helped train me and equip me and send me out in life. And for all of that, I'm very thankful. Yep. But I do not worship them. Exactly. And I have the ability, really, to surpass them in any, in all ways. I may or may not, but I have the ability to surpass them. I can be richer than them, better than them, taller than them, better looking than them, more successful than right. them, more powerful than them. If I, but I'm, but I'm still, I'm very thankful for them. Right. But I'm not, I've not devoted any, I haven't created any worship songs. Yep. I'm not basing a religion around them. Exactly. Is, is, that, is that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be overly critical and I'm not trying to manipulate what they're saying, but it seems like when we reduce it down to, he's just a, he's just a parent. Yeah. And, and, and what it, what it also, to that point, what it also does is if, if Jesus's death and resurrection just unlocks the gate and now the rest of the journey beyond that gate is up to me then even though you would never meet a Mormon and I don't even want to put words in their mouth, but I just, just want to take the implication of this is I'm almost worshiping myself in a lot of ways. It's, it's up to me from now to do the right things, to be the right person, to not mess up, to make up for it. If I do mess up, I'm carrying the load at this point. And, and, you know, they'll, they'll say that Jesus is there to help us, that the, there's the Holy spirit, which has a whole other conversation, <laughs> but there's the Holy spirit to kind of help us along the way. But it's still ultimately up to me to, to, to take the path forward. And, and that's a, that's a fundamentally different, you know, relationship with the God who, who on the cross, Jesus says it's finished in John. Jesus says, this is eternal life to know me that we have eternal life just by our relationship with him versus now having to the gates unlocked, the mountains tall, you know, just shoulder up and go. And that's uh that is a, to, to your point about worship, right. we're worshiping something completely different 
even though overtly no one would ever say in the, in the religion, hey, well, I worship myself. Unfortunately, that's that's what it leaves you to is to, to to be the best version of yourself you can be, which is admirable in so many ways. Right. But but detrimental to the soul. So here's here's how I've described it. I'd be interested in getting your thoughts on this. It seems like if the American spirit created a religion, this is what it would be. Yeah. Because it's it, it really is, I mean, you can do it. If you work hard and do your best, you can achieve anything. You can even escape the limitations of this world and become God. You can become God. That's a, I mean, that I can do it myself. That's very American. I could, I can be God. I can be the most power. I, 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 that's very American idea. And it's interesting to me that one of its core, we haven't talked about this, that one of its core principles is Jesus came to America. Right. Yeah. And I've heard, I've heard Mormons say this to me, something along the lines of, don't you think Jesus would want to come to America? Right. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, it's, that's a, you know, a big part of, you know, we haven't even talked about the Book of Mormon yet, but to your point, that's, that's a pretty significant portion of the Book of Mormon is when Jesus post-resurrection comes over to America and visits the, the people who are living here, who they believe through the earlier parts of the Book of Mormon were actually a lost tribe of Israel who sailed on a boat or a vessel across the ocean, you know, a couple of few thousand years ago, landed here and populated the North and South America. And so they believe that all native and indigenous people in the Americas were part of this lost tribe who Jesus, after his resurrection, came to visit to make sure all the tribes could have a chance to see the resurrected Jesus. And so, uh, you know, to the point about the, the, the very American, you know, when, when you look at the context of, you know, Joseph Smith was raised in the 1820s, 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, we're only at that point, 40 years removed from the American Revolution. I mean, that's within my lifetime. I'm 42 years old. Right. And, uh, you know, 1820, I would have lived through the American Revolution, the, uh, you know, new con- constitution, George Washington's presidency, you know, it's War very, of 1812. Yeah, yeah, very American. And so, so that's so, you know, and very, uh, you know, just a lot of excitement about the possibilities that this had to offer. And so that's part of the context of this. And, yeah, and the, and the, and the, and the special unique place that America has in the world as the, as the, you know, the, the, the light on the hill, the, you know, big, this idea of, and again, you, you'll see this in non-Mormonism. You'll see this in certainly in certain aspects of Southern evangelical Christianity, this idea of America as this kind of second Israel is chosen, has, has a divine origin to it. And America is God's chosen people in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. And I find it very repulsive in Christianity, but it seems like, again, that Mormonism is kind of built ar- around this. And so with that comes this very strong works-based salvation. You, you can do it. And so you said, well, I'll finish, we'll finish with this question before we, before we get to the, get to the next episode. You, so you say they don't, they don't like to use work salvation. And then you also is like, Hey, once well, times we're talking about, Hey, yeah, you say Jesus died for your sins. I believe Jesus died for his sins. We say these things, but we mean different things. Is that on purpose? Like, are they, are they, are they, have they co-opted our language? Do you believe they co-opted our language to trick us? Or are we really just kind of like missing each other? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, you know, Mormonism, uh, despite the, you know, Joseph Smith, the founder, kind of drawing this line and saying, 
these denominations are an abomination. I am the restoring what's true. It still emerged out of the context of uh, New England, early 19th century, revi- uh, you know, revivalist uh, Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so I honestly feel that as, as Joseph Smith progressed, and, and, and you can even follow the writings of his life, that it starts off almost feeling very Christian in a lot of ways. He actually believes in the Trinity early on, but as time goes on and he starts to assert different doctrines and realizes the implications of those doctrines on other doctrines, it started to have to shift a little bit. And so I feel like a lot of the language is almost just relic from what it emerged out of. Okay. And the co-opting, whether it was intentional or not, it can be deceiving. Again, whether that's intentional or, or accidental, that it's like, okay, saved has to mean something different now. Jesus dying for our sins has to mean something different now. And so I think in my point of view, it just kind of emerged out of that, but it can be very frustrating for Christians and even um, leave Christians a little bit of a loss of like, well, maybe I actually don't know what I believe. Or, you know, if you you can plant that seed of doubt, then that opens the doors for any other alternative to possibly be the the true alternative. So whether it's intentional or not, I think has the same effect. Okay. So it was initially he he did, maybe we did share a common language with that first generation or the first iteration of Joseph Smith. But as the theology evolved, he wanted to keep, he kept the language, but they all had to mean different things because they're, okay, that makes, that makes sense. Well, I think it would be important. We just kind of keep, at least in my mind, like we, I keep thinking we're, you know, okay, we're going to talk about this and now we're going to get to this next thing. But I feel, I, f- I feel like that there's some things here that we've touched on that I, I would like for us to kind of come back around and just a little bit more about, the origins and the histories of kind of where this came from to kind of just help us deeper understand kind of where we are, where we are. And I think too, it is important. There are a lot of weird, weirdish pop culture known things about Mormon that kind of be good for maybe to us to understand. And then, then maybe we can get to the point where we kind of talk about kind of, you know, your heart and kind of how the ways that we need to respond to it. So I may be about to ask you to try to stretch this into a four episode podcast, if, if we can, <laughs> if we can make that work. But Scott, I mean, I've, I've loved and appreciated everything that you've said. And for all you guys that are joining us, I hope you are enjoying it as well. And we've uh, loved having you here with us and encourage you to keep coming back. And we'd love to connect with you at church. We'd love for you to be a part of our church community in any way. You can find us at thegrowthchurch.org slash connect. Let us know that you're listening. You can just drop us some questions or some thoughts that you have there. We'd love to hear that would love to connect with you on a Sunday morning and all the information about our services on Sunday, you'll find it there. If you're not local, you'll find all the information you need about streaming there. Either way, whether it's in person or online, uh, we would love to connect with you, serve you, help you any way that we can. Again, I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor at The Grove. We got Scott, one of the elders there, and thanks so much for joining us.